0: Formal greetings. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and Ellie, as well, and Riva. No. Yes. Huh? Riva. No, it's not Hanukkah yet. Yeah. So, wel- oh no, no, it's not that one. Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. So this is our opportunity to get together Sunday mornings and explore the deeper realities of Torah, and that's straight up what it's about. And because that is what we do Sunday mornings, and honestly what we do very often, um, I think it's appropriate to mention yesterday's holiday, and really also today's holiday. Which is, right there, yesterday was the 19th day of Kislev, and today is the 20th day of Kislev. By the way, being that today is the 20th day of Kislev, what that means is, yes, what that means is that Hanukkah, is but five days away. But we're not yet... Ta- you like Hanukkah? Kids love Hanukkah, right? And adults also. But we're not talking about Hanukkah yet. Um, yesterday was the 19th, and today is the 20th day of Kislev. And these are what we call the Chag HaGulah, the days of redemption and liberation of the founder of the Chabad movement, Rabbi Schneier Zaman of Liadi, also known as, a.k.a., The Alter Rebbe. By the way, Alter means old, and Rebbe means Rebbe. So Alter Rebbe means the old Rebbe. Now, it's less offensive than it sounds. It's not like, oh, the old Rebbe. No, it means like the... I don't know how to say it better in in, in English. It's like the um, esteemed, um, original. Esteemed? Esteemed Revere? Revere, there you go. Yeah, I saw you unmuting and I'm like, wait, I want to hear. I was waiting for what, you, for what you had. Yeah, revered, Rebbe. So I, I, I mentioned this. I mentioned revered means like honored and respected. So um, Reva wants to know. What do you mean? She's four. She doesn't know what revered means yet, but now she knows. So I mentioned this. We spoke about this last Wednesday night. We need to mention this, th- this though, in the context of today's day. Oh, because I need to tell you. That although on the 19th day of Kislev, the Alter Rebbe was released from prison, nonetheless, his full liberation, so to speak, only happened today on the 20th day of Kislev. So these are really two days of celebration, 19th and 20th day of Kislev, and they both represent this liberation of the Alter Rebbe. But it's more than just the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, getting out of jail. It's much more than that, which we need to give a little bit more background on that itself. So, the Alter Rebbe was the third generation of the Hasidic movement, which was founded by the Baal Shem Tov. Now, the Hasidic movement, if you think about it and you analyze it, it really has two opposite modalities. On the one hand, it's very much applicable to every person. The Baal Shem Tov shook the hierarchy of Judaism, which was very, very strict and rigid at that point, what do I mean by hierarchy? Simply speaking, there were those that were very learned and scholarly and those that were not. Remember, this is, we're talking about now, 1600s. 1700s, Poland, Eastern Europe. Areas that have been decimated by years of generations of pogroms and poverty and just Terrible circumstances, physically terrible circumstances. And that took a toll spiritually, psychologically, emotionally as well. And so the way the communities, many communities shook out, the way they kind of settled is, well, there were those that were privileged to be able to go to yeshiva or have, I mean, they didn't really have a yeshiva, but right, your brothers in yeshiva, right. He's he's a lucky guy. So um, there were those that were privileged to study Torah and have a teacher and be able to learn how to learn Talmud and and be a scholar. And then you had everyone else. The ones that had to eke out a basic living to survive. Kids who had to support their families because they needed every hand on deck to to, to earn a little bit of money to, to literally survive. So you had... Farmers and blacksmiths and silversmiths and whatever you can imagine, life three hundred years ago, that's what it was, and they had different shuls, different synagogues. They had the synagogues for the scholars, and the synagogues for the farmers. And if you were a farmer, you couldn't dive in that other synagogue. There was a class system. Now you might be thinking, Judaism. You're doing- Oh, yeah, I'm doing a class, but this is a class system. It's a little bit different. Um, it's like a system where it's like where everybody is separate and people are not really getting along that nicely, which is not nice. Um, it's interesting, like, when, you, when you're, when you you know, using language, which today is about language, by the way, um, it's interesting what you notice through, through the eyes, apparently, of a, uh, of a four-year-old. Of Yes, of a Riva, as she says. Um, okay, so... So we have to mic her up so you guys can hear fully the whole. Uh, so, Arifah. <laughs> Arifah. Yes. Yes, you both can. So there was literally divisions. The Baal Shem Tov came around, and he said, "What is this? How do we get here?" He wasn't. He didn't. He didn't ask the question, "How do we get here?" He just solved. He solved it. He went around. To the countryside. Yes, Yucosef. He went around to the countryside, and he went around to the villages, and he went around to the communities, and he went around to the farms, and he went around to to the little homes, to the hovels, and he said, here's what I want to tell you. God loves you. Hashem loves you. Hashem loves your simple, simple, nothing simple, but your basic, now, these are, these are like negative words. Hashem loves your sincere prayers, whether you understand what you're saying or whether you don't. Because rem- these people who were the farmers, they would wake up 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, and they would say their prayers and they would say psalms, but they were unlearned. Many of them didn't know what they were saying. Although they knew how to read Hebrew, perhaps, perhaps, they had no idea what they were saying. Hashem tef said, Hashem loves the sincerity. And you know what? Hashem tef taught that, that Hashem loves the sincerity even more than the arrogance of the scholar. The arrogant Talmud study of the scholar is more, is, is, listen, who can rank, right? But might be less precious than the sincere prayers of the simple farmer. And with this, the, the, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, literally breathed life into that area of the Jewish world that had been so exasperated, so beaten down. There's a, there's a beautiful parable that's given for this. In the Jewish tradition, when somebody faints, one of the ways to get them out of the faint, to revive them, is by whispering their Hebrew name in their ear. I can't vouch for this medically, but it says it in the good books, that if you whisper the Hebrew name, it can help revive the spirit, because it somehow reawakens the soul. Well, What's the name of the Jewish people? B'nai Yisrael, the children of Yisrael, Israel, right? That's the, it's the, it's the name that the Jewish people are called. So B'nai Yisrael, children of Israel. What was the Ba'ashem Tev's name? Yisrael. So in the Hasidic tradition, it says that Hashem saw that the Jewish people were faint. Right? We were in a state of uh, low energy. So Hashem sent down a soul, God sent down a soul into this world whose name was Yisrael. And by calling that, that child Yisrael, this person Yisrael, the Baal Shem Tov, he, uh, Baal Shem Tov reawakened the, the spirits of Jewry. Of That's on the one side. So on the one side, the Baal Shem Tov was a champion of the people, a people's person. Everybody is holy, so to speak. On the other hand, on the, other hand the Baal Shem Tov would teach also the greatest secrets of Torah. The greatest secrets of Kabbalah. And it's not a contradiction, because the deeper you are, the more you realize how connected everyone and everything is. So in the Hasidic movement, you have the two opposites. You have the unmitigated love for the other, right? Untempered, unchecked, boundless, infinite love for your fellow, and also a fierce. A fierce um, dedication and devotion and attachment to the deepest secrets of Torah. So this was the movement that the Baal Shem Tov started. The Baal Shem Tov started teaching not just everybody the power of simple prayers or, or sincere prayers, but also tidbits of the deepest teachings that were understandable by everybody. This was continued by the second generation of the Hasidic movement, the Maghreb rich, Rabbi Dov Ber. It was continued in the third generation by many Hasidic masters, including the Alter Rebbe, the founder of the Chabad movement. And it was the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, who was imprisoned falsely on false charges, imprisoned in the year 1798. And in 1798, the charges against the Rebbe were essentially high treason. What were the charges of high treason about? Well, the claim was, first of all, there were many claims, many claims. But the claim, one of the primary claims was that he was supporting the enemy of Russia. He lived in Russia then. Russia was ruled by a czar, by a king. And he was essentially being charged with high treason, going against the king. What was, what was the charge based on? Well, he was supporting Jewish communities in Israel, which was then under the Ottoman rule, under the Turkish rule. And the Ottomans and the Russians were, were, not, uh, were not at peace with each other. They were, they were in a conflict. And so these roundabout charges were that somehow the Rebbe, by giving tzedakah to Jews in Israel, supporting Jewish life in Israel, was somehow trying to subvert the, uh, the kingdom, the czar, the rulership, of Russia. Now, of course, these charges were not not genuine. Where they came about, how they came about, is the subject of another Fabrengen. But in short, not everybody was on board with the Hasidic movement. People felt that it was dangerous, especially the hierarchy, right? Especially the, the, um, the structure that had been in place up until now, that the Hasidic movement was basically challenging. And the charges essentially stemmed from some of those circles who were trying to bring down the Hasidic movement. So there was, listen, I don't want to speak negatively, but the bottom line is there was a lot of, um, uh, within our own ranks, unfortunately, some, uh, some, some conflict. But what's the point? The point is the Altarebbe was imprisoned on these, again, false charges. The good news is, by the way, the end of the story is he was exonerated 53 days later, fully exonerated of all charges and cleared with, uh, with honor from all suspicion. So that's, that's the end of the story. But I will tell you that, I, and I heard this last night, somebody mentioned to me that the story goes that during the 53 days, he was interrogated. The Atver was interrogated by many, many different interrogators. One of the people that they sent into his cell was a... I don't know if they called it a psychologist, but a psychoanalyst, some sort of psychologist, to assess the Alter Rebbe. And the assessment was done, sponsored by the prosecution. And the the expert psychoanalyst came back with the following report, that here's a man who has incredible ambitions. He desires something or things that he can never achieve. In other words, he has incredible, incredibly high desires and ambitions. And the prosecution said, you see, he wants the crown. He wants to overthrow the czar. That's his ambition. Well, in, in, if you ever study a discourse, a Hasidic teaching, by the al rebbe you know that he says, he writes very often, he said very often, I don't want anything. This is what he said. I don't want anything. I don't want your paradise, I don't want your heaven. All I want is as dich I only want you. He would say to God in a moment of spiritual ecstasy, He would say, I don't want anything else. I don't want your heaven, I don't want your paradise, I don't want your angels, I don't want. Don't give me, any, any, uh, don't give me any, um, any, any shiny lights. All I want is you. All I want is essence. That's what he wanted. It's a beautiful expression of, of pure devotion to the source. Um, and that, of course, a human being, can a human being really perfectly connect with the divine essence? No, not with the body, for sure not. So that was he was a man who, str- who was striving for something that he couldn't attain, but it wasn't the throne. It wasn't to replace the czar. It was a spiritual yearning. Anyway, I'm giving you a little bit some of the lore, some of the stories of this, uh, the, this celebration of Yudetskislev. But but here's where it gets very relevant to Kabbalah, to Kabbalah, and that is that the Alter Rebbe, notwithstanding some controversies on the ground, the Alter Rebbe understood one thing. But if he found himself in prison, there was a spiritual cause for it. Because nothing just happens on the ground. Nothing, like Joseph. We're about to start this week. The Joseph story in in our cycle of Torah study. Um, It's the Torah portion of um, Miketz, right? Um, Not Miketz. This is uh, Vayeshev. Vayeshev is this week. So Vayeshev, we read about the story of Joseph. And Joseph reminds us that, yeah, you can blame the forces on the ground, but then you're missing the real drama. The real drama is the spiritual forces of why you're here, right? Joseph gets sold by his brothers, but he never blames his brothers. He says, God sent me on a mission to Egypt. What's my mission? Sorry for giving away too much of the story, perhaps. Spoiler alert, right? But Joseph, by the end end of the story, doesn't harbor any grudges to his brothers because he says, I know I'm here for a mission. The Altarebbe in prison knew that yes, this vendetta, that fake charge, this whatever, but bottom line is there's something spiritually at play here. What was spiritually at play here? So the outer Rebbe writes, or it's recorded at least, in his name that when he was in prison, and I mentioned this Wednesday night, but I need to mention it again, when he was imprisoned, so the spirit, the souls of his teacher, the Magad of Mizrach, Rabbi Dober, and his teacher's teacher, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, they had both passed away, but their spirits, their souls, appeared to him in prison. And he asked them, why am I here? What's going on above? You guys are above? What's, what's happening up there? Why am I here? They said, it's because you're revealing too much, too many secrets. It's because you're, you're opening up the, uh, the floodgates of, of divine wisdom. It's never been open to this extent before. So he asked them, okay, so what's the message? Should I stop? They said no. Once you've started and once you get out of here, once you've started, you need to go even more. You need to explain it with even more. You need to teach these teachings with even more um, Havana, with even more um, understanding. And it seems like a contradiction. Like if if the problem is that he's teaching too much, how is the solution to teach more, right? If in heaven, the, the, the issue is that he's teaching too much Kabbalah, too much spirituality, then how is increasing it the solution? So I'll tell you a thought that I had last night about this. And it deals with something that we've talked about before regarding light and vessel. Right, so typically a good match is when you have your light fitting the size of your vessel. So, whether we're talking about you know contents in a beverage, contents in a cup, we have just the right amount of liquid in your cup that it fits, or whether it's the, the idea in your presentation, you want to have just the right amount of light, so to speak, in the right size vessel. Well, what happens if you have too much light and too little vessel? Well, then the vet- vessels can shatter, but you got you to gotta tweak something. So how do you tweak it? There's two ways. You're right here. are two ways. Again, I'm giving you a scenario. Your light is too big for your vessel. You know what? I'm not going to tell you. What are the two options? Your two, light, is this, light is big and the vessels are small. What are the two solutions to even things out? Help me out. Solution number one is light. less light. Less light. Solution number two, more vessel. more vessel. This sounds like great taste, less filling. Sounds like that Miller Lite commercial back in the day, or something like that. Right? Exactly. So one way is, oh, the light's too big for the vessel. Let's cut the light. The other way is, let's broaden the vessel. The outer Rebbe is in prison, and why is he in prison? Because there was too much. He was. Sharing too much light in the world, so what's the solution? Either cut down the light, but no. The Maggid and the Baal Shem Tov taught him, told him in prison. The solution is not to cut down the light. The light's already out. The solution is to teach it in a way that you're building the vessels that can receive it. If we study Kabbalah today and we understand it, it's because of the of the, of the of the trailblazing efforts of the Baal Shem Tov and the Magan and the Altareb and all of the great Hasidic masters who were Kabbalists, who took Kabbalah, that was literally taught one person at a time in a forest, oftentimes, perhaps, right? By the third tree, etc., to one student. If we're studying it in, in mass, if we're studying it in a way that makes sense to us, it's because of the efforts of these incredible spiritual giants who saw that it was necessary. There was a new chapter in history. It was necessary now to bring the greatest light into the world. And when it was mismatched, the solution was not to cut the light back, to, to roll back time, but to broaden the vessel, which is chabad. What is chabar? Chachma, Bina, and Dat. It's wisdom. Well, I mean, give you this the traditional translation: wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. But it's about explaining the deepest secrets in a way that's logically understandable. The Atarebbe devised a formula, an intellectual formula, for making sense of the deepest divine secrets that were before that written completely in code. If you knew the code, you could study. If you didn't know the code, you were out. Even if you knew the code, what were we talking about? Code. Something foreign. The Altarebbe translated not just language, but translated ideas into normative application. So if you and I can study Kabbalah, whether it's Sunday mornings in this, in this setting, or whether it's any time, if you and I are able to do that, it's only because of what happened on this day, Yud-Tetz the 19th and 20th of Kislev, in the year 1798, when the Yath was in prison, and he was told, he was told, before, while he was still in prison, he was told that when you get out, you got to open it up even more, and in a way that it's going to be understood, to brought, broaden the vessels, the, open the light, and also open up the vessels. And that's what we have. So the 19th and 20th days of Kislev, yesterday and today, are what we call the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, the New Year's, the New year. Happy New Year, of Hasidism, of Kabbalah. It's a time when we spend literally our time and our focus on the deeper secrets of Torah. We talk about it, we study it, we bring about it, we make good resolutions for the coming year. You know, Rosh Hashanah, you make good resolutions for being a good person, being a spiritual person. New Year's, January 1st, maybe uh, you make resolutions about the gym or whatever it is. But what about you slave? What about uh, yesterday and today? It's resolutions about Kabbalah. Resolutions about the spiritual wisdom that we have access to. It's about how do we add, how do we increase, how do we integrate it more into our lives. And so that is, by way of introduction, just understanding an just incredible gift that we have today. And by the way, it doesn't only affect. It doesn't only affect um, the, the 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 specific teachings that the Alter Rebbe taught or that the other Hasidic masters taught, it affects the entire world's consciousness. There's, a, there's an incredible um, discourse that our Rebbe taught back in the 60s, 1960s, um, where he says, essentially, where he says that, oh, what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is the soul of Torah. So up until Kabbalah was revealed to the masses, what everyone related to was the body of Torah, but not the soul. Like everyone studied Jewish law that says, okay, this is what you need to do, but why and what is it, what's the spiritual meaning of it? That wasn't explored. And what is what is Yotes kislev What is the 19th, What is it about? It's about revealing the soul of Torah of Judaism. So it's not so it's not just other ideas. Think about it in the terms, in the context of body and soul. As, hey, buddy, it's instead of just the soul, the body of Torah being revealed, it's also the soul, and the Rebbe says this affects also you and I, the human being, because what do we typically relate to? We typically relate to bodies, right? You see somebody, and what do you see? What do you notice? The body. They're external. You notice the surface, right? What is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is about exposing the soul of Torah, which then translates, because everything is sourced in Torah, right? Torah is the blueprint of creation. Once you reveal the soul of Torah, suddenly the soul of you and I are also revealed. Is it any surprise that the Chachma, the wisdom of psychological analysis, deeper understandings of what motivates human beings, that that, all of that, that movement begins roughly around the same time that Kabbalah is opened up to the world. It's by no coincidence that we're open to our souls like never before with the advent of Kabbalah. So I just wanted to add, this last point that I wanted to add is That it's not just we're studying the deepest secrets of Torah. We're studying the deepest secrets of creation, mystical stuff. Yes, that also. But in doing so, we also gain access to our own soul. And we gain perspective on the soul of another. Which brings us to today's discussion, which is all about the power of communication. The power of the voice. You're covering your mouth, you're covering your eye. Speak no evil, see no evil. Let me just fill in the, uh, the, <laughs> the set. Okay. Oh, you got both. You got a double whammy. Okay. This brings us today's discussion. This brings us to today's discussion, which is all about communication. Now, Kabbalah speaks about primarily two things. God and us. The, um, right, the macrocosm and the microcosm. It speaks about the divine secrets of creation. And it speaks about the inner reality, the inner landscape of the human being, like I said before, revealing the soul of Torah, but also revealing the literal soul that's inside of us. Get to know ourselves better under the hood. So one of the things that Kabbalah points out very strongly is regarding the power of speech. And, and, And it's really important, really important. To understand this, this concept because otherwise it's, it's, it's very overlooked. If you ask most people, right, what defines a human being or what's the superior quality of a human being over other forms of life? Like, what makes a human being really, you know, really incredible? What What is a unique human gift? Most people would say. What do you you think most people would say? Wherein lies the unique human gift? Cognitive ability. Oh, the head, the brain. Yeah, intellectual, cognitive. Some say creative thought, right? Chachma, creative thought. You know, I mean, animals, other forms of life can, can have... Basic understanding, right? Tony's saying self-awareness. There's also this creative awareness when you can see, right? Human beings love this. There's like a few things that happened and before long, we're drawing connections. We are storytellers, right? We, We create narratives out of information. It's not just understanding information. It's, aha, wait a second. This happened, then that happened, then the other thing happened. It must mean, right? We love, you know thinking about things. And that's something that we don't see, at least we don't see obviously, in any other form of life. I mean, the big, the holy grail in technology today, and you and I know this, right, is AI, artificial intelligence. I mean, that's the holy grail. And what is artificial intelligence? Until now, computers have done a really great job at being able to repeat you know, different commands. You give the computer, essentially that's what it is, right? Computers are perfectly replicating commands. You give them a line of code, and this is, if this comes in, that should go out flawless, theoretically, right? Flawless. Uh, It's perfect. But the holy grail of, of, of computing is not that it can execute what you already gave it, but artificial intelligence, which is a different type of thinking. It's trying to mirror the human mind, which doesn't just take in information and spit it out based on an algorithm, but it can come up with creative things and come up with connections and see things that are not necessarily um, above the surface. Now, will, will computers ever do a better job than human beings even in that area? I'm not going to answer that question because I have no idea. And it, it touches on, you know, maybe even some deeper concepts, which, by the way, I think I'm looking around here. I wonder, I think some of you, perhaps, we had an e- we're at this event. We had an event, I want to say, three years ago. It was one of our Cafe Chabad's Saturday night uh, gatherings. This is B.C., right? Three B.C., three years before Corona. So it was maybe two years B.C. And we, we, we had Cafe Chabad in person. And um, the subject was artificial love right, about relationships with technology. And, and, and on, a, on a practical level, on a societal level, but also on a Jewish level, on a level like halacha, like could artificial intelligence ever rise to the status of, on some level, a human being? Now, it sounds maybe like a silly question, but it was interesting. We had a rabbi who spoke about this, and he was bring from sources, it's, you know, it's, it's at least a question to ask and explore. But my point is that if you ask people, getting back to, to my, my core point here, if you ask most people, what defines a human being? What defines the unique gifts of a human being? They would say intelligence. You know, this cognitive, self-awareness, creative, whatever, but somehow revolving around the mind. But if you look at Judaism and Kabbalah, it's not what it says. It says that the human being is called the Medaber the speaker, the communicator, not the one, step on this side, please. It's not the one, not the one who is thinking, not the maskil, not the thinker, but the medaber, the communicator. And, and honestly, it's a bit shocking. Why is it a bit shocking? Because at first glance, it would seem to be that communication is not a big deal. And let, let me break it down. I wrote this. I wrote about this in the email, but I want to elaborate. If you got the email, if not, let me know and I'll get you on the email list. But I want to elaborate on what I wrote in the email. There are three, what Kabbalah calls, garments of the soul. Levusha ha-nefesh. Three um, mediums through which the soul is expressed. Right? One, thought. Two, speech. And three, action. So, there's who we are inside, and then, there, and then there's, th- that's the soul, like who we are, but then there's how we express it, and you can express it in three ways, thought, speech, and action. Thought is also a form of expression. Why is it expression? It's an expression to self. Are you speaking? <laughs> yes. 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 So, speech, sorry, thought is also a form of expression. It's expression to self. What do I mean? Because you might be feeling something or knowing something inside, but not be able to articulate it to yourself. Not be fully aware of it until it rises to your thought. Right? You might be feeling, you ever have that sense? Sometimes you're feeling either good or maybe not so good, but you haven't yet thought about why you're feeling good or not so good, you know what I'm talking about? You're just either in a good mood or not in a good mood. I mean, hopefully in a good mood. And, but then you're like, what am I, why am I in a good mood? Oh, yes! Oh, yeah, that's awesome! That's why, right? You ever have that, you ever have that experience? I love that, by the way. It's like It's like a great little surprise. It's like, oh, you're feeling good and you even You know, tracked it down. That's great. It's fantastic. So thought is revelation to self. Speech, revelation to others. And action, of course, is is action. But most of us would say that the first and the third garment of the soul, um, thought and action are the most important. Because thought is where you think and you're creative and self-revelation. It's like thought is where it's at. Internally. And action is what makes a difference in the world, right? Action speaks louder than words. Action is king. We live in a world, the world that, we're, that, we, that we exist in, according to Kabbalah, is called olam Haasiyah, the world of action, right? It's not about intentions, it's about action. So either the first or the third garments are the most important, we would, we would think. Ha, <laughs> think, right? So thought is important and action is important. What about speech? Speech is like this middle child. Right? Speech is, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. What is speech? Speech is little Brady, 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 I'm saying Brady in my head, Brady brunch, but they weren't bunch. eating. Yeah, Brady bunch. Yes. Little Brady bunch reference there. Might as well. Listen, we're looking at, at, at the, uh, the squares. They were so ahead of their time. So look, it's, it's kind of the middle garment that gets like, yeah, speech. Speech is not creating anything, and it's not doing anything. It's just sharing ideas, and that's important, but it's not as important as coming up with the ideas, and it's not as important as implementing the ideas. I mean, again, let, let, me, let me just define what I'm saying. Thought is creating the ideas, and action is implementing the ideas. What speech? Oh, I have a good idea. I'm telling you about it. <laughs> what, so what's the big deal about... Speaking, right? Seems to be like the lowest on the totem pole. But what Kabbalah says is, on the contrary, it's actually the highest. And let me explain why. But first, let me reiterate what I said before. That human beings are called the Medaber, the communicator. And if we're called the Medaber, the communicator, that means that speech, dibur. right? Medaber means the one who speaks. Dibur, speech, is the highest. Because we're not called the masculine. We're not called the intellectual ones, nor are we called the, I don't know what the right way to say it would be, or, nor are we called the action ones. We're not the thinkers, and we're not the doers, we're the speakers. That's what we're called in, in Kabbalah. We're called the, 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 the speaker. Why? Why? Here's what Kabbalah says about speech. And this is absolutely relevant. First of all, it's always relevant. It's relevant to the times we find ourselves in. It's relevant to the 19th of Kislev. It's relevant also to our text that we're studying. Why is speech so sacred? Speech is sacred because speech, like no other power, reaches the essence of the soul. Speech is all about how I can perfectly connect with somebody else. See, my thought is how I think of something in my head. And that might be lofty and that might be profound, but that's still me, still stuck in me. Speech is my ability to transcend self and to express it to others, which means it touches on a part of me that's not limited to me. Let's speak about spirit. Spirits for a moment. I don't mean like October, end of October spirits. I mean like, or L'chaim spirits. What I mean is soul spirits, right? Each one of us has a soul spirit. I have a soul, you have a soul. We each have our own individual soul spirits and and every soul is different. Every soul is different. Every soul is particular. It's not like, this is an important distinction, Think about a mansion. Think about a home with many rooms and many windows, right? A lot of windows. And it's a sunny day. And the light of the sun is shining in each room, each window. And a person might say, oh, that's the same way it is with the soul. There's only one soul. But it's shining in each body, each window. You see that? That's one way of understanding it. So there aren't different souls. It's just different rooms in which the sun, the same sun is shining. Does does what I'm saying make sense? Yes? One might think that. Yeah. So just like there's one sun, but it's shining in, it's just shining, but it goes into every room through every window. One might say there's one God, one source, one soul, and that's shining into every person. But that's not what Kabbalah says. Kabbalah says that every soul is A unique soul being that also is connected universally and collectively, but also has an individual aspect to it as well. So your thoughts, my thoughts, are stuck in our individual spirit level. It's how you understand something or how you think about something. That's what thought is. But what is speech? Speech is my ability to transcend the particulars of self. One second. Speech is my ability to, tra- to to transcend the particulars of self and connect with someone else. Yes. Um. I only pinched me. I'm sure we can all agree that pinching is not okay. Can we all agree with that? Yes. I think everybody's on the same page here. Okay. He pinched my butt. Okay. Well, you can't. You can't do that. So let me give you a hug. No. You're no, happy. You want to go on my lap? Okay. Alright, so, what's the point? Communication is what lifts us out of ourself. What lifts us out of our... Oh, we're sharing. Sharing is caring. So, it's what lifts us out of ourselves and doesn't keep us stuck or tethered in our own... Um, in our own... Oh, you guys have to keep your hands to yourself. In our own particular... Particularisms. That's what speeches so thought guys you all have to jump off yeah everyone has to jump off so thought is how i think and speech is how we share this transcending self how we equalize it and share it with others and that's why it represents a part of the soul that's higher than you in other words the highest element of your particular soul is not how it's you but how it connects with everyone else, the collective. You with me on this? The highest part of our souls is not how it speaks to us, but how it speaks to others, quite literally, and that's the power of speech. That's the way it's explained in Kabbalah. So Kabbalah says that speech is the power, our manifest ability to transcend the particulars of self and to share openly and freely with others. That's why there's power in speech. Let's talk about the power of speech. In other words, I just gave you the Kabbalistic understanding of why it's powerful and what it means, but let's talk about the the expression of that. How do we, where do we see speech as power? I'm going to give you a few examples. Number one, when you're thinking something in your head, it could be unclear. When you speak about it to someone else, what happens very often, you gain clarity. Well, that doesn't make sense. If speech is just merely conveying what you know to someone else, how are you gaining clarity when you're speaking? What's the answer? Because speaking is triggering the deepest part of your soul. And when you trigger the deepest part of your soul, you can open up new vistas of insight, of wisdom. So again, when you have lack of clarity in your own head, you're confused about an issue or it's complicated and you're not really sure about something and you speak it over with somebody else, Suddenly, it can refine your own thought. Speech can add to wisdom. Let's speak about emotion. You're feeling something in your heart. You're feeling something. Whether it's love or something else, and you speak about it, speech typically typically magnifies the emotion. When you're, when you're upset about something, and you speak about it, more often than not, you're getting more upset about it. Now I know, That therapy will say, therapists will say, it's good to speak about things. And I'm not doubting that. But what I am saying is, it says in Kabbalah that the antidote to anger is silence. Not speaking about it. Now, again, I'm not advocating, not speaking about things and brushing things under the carpet and letting things like get build up inside to the point that they explode. No, obviously that's not healthy. But, at least in the moment, speaking about something is not always the best way to reduce a feeling. Because speaking about things, feelings, magnifies, expands the emotion. give you an example. Let's say you're upset about something that somebody did to you. It just doesn't feel, you know, it just uh, doesn't feel, didn't feel right. You feel like, you know, a little bit hurt, a little bit upset, a little bit, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it was, whatever it is. You speak to somebody about it. And while you're speaking, you realize how bad it really was. Ever, has that ever happened to you, right? As you're speaking, you're like, you know what? It's even worse than I thought. They, this, is not, and this is not even the first time. And before that, and you start creating all of these things, all these connections and all. And before you know it, what started off as a little grievance, a little, you were upset a little bit. Now, suddenly, it's a big, huge war, right? What happened? You spoke about it. And what does speech do? Speech is an accelerant and a magnifier. Speech is steroids. It takes ideas and expands and clarifies them. And it takes emotions and expands on the emotions. Speech is not a passive delivery mechanism. I wrote in the email, speech is not DoorDash. Uh, Maybe I wrote that it is DoorDash, whatever. But today I'm telling you, speech is not DoorDash. Speech is not, I'm going to pick this up from here and take it to there. By the way, if you're ordering, DoorDash is one of these food delivery um, services, like Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub. What are some other ones? What's Grubhub? What's Grubhub? I'm glad you asked. We could... If about Grubhub. No, whatever. It's another... You, you, you order food and they, and they bring it to you. If... I'll uh, stick ah. with DoorDash, because it, at least what it has... A li- it it's also the same thing. They bring you food. Um, stick with alliteration. Why not? It sounds... It rolls off the tongue. So DoorDash... If you're ordering food, they pick up the food, and by the time it gets to you, it's magnified, you got a problem. I'm just saying, you don't want your delivery person to start adding to your meal. It's like, oh, I actually had some extra stuff, so I just threw it in. That's not necessarily what you're you're looking for, because you just want what was there in the original place to be delivered to the new place. So we typically think of speech in the same way. Speech is delivering an idea... When, when we Florida, we wanted to, they where we were. Yes, yes, this is true. So, yeah. here's the deal. Speech, we typically think that speech is taking your thought and sharing it with someone else, or taking your feeling and sharing it with somebody else. And it's like DoorDash. It's not going to diminish, it's not going to add, it's not going to, you know, nothing. It's just going to take, you know, it's like from point A, oh, hey, from point A, by the way, Tony on the way. So if from point A to point B, that's it. Right? It's, it's just moving from here to there. But that's not what speech is. Speech is started off like this. By the time it got there, it's bigger. It's deeper. It's more clarified. You had an idea in your head and you spoke about it with somebody else. You didn't just transport an idea from inside your head to someone else's head. By the time you're done, the idea is a new idea. It's an expanded idea. It's a deep idea. It's a profound idea. It's an exciting idea. It was confusing before. Now it's clarified. An emotion. You're not just taking this emotion and moving it to someone else, sharing it with somebody else. You know, oh, let me, like, let me tell you how I feel. Suddenly, there's depth, there's breadth, there's width. Suddenly, it's, it's expanded, whether for the good or the opposite. Right? Again, it's, it is healthy to speak. We have to know how and when. So that we're leveraging the power of speech in a healthy way. So when you're in that acute moment of anger, know that speaking about it is probably not going to help you get past it. If you're stuck in it in that moment, it's only going to make you more stuck in it. That's, that's why it says in Rashi's Chachma, which is a brilliant Kabbalistic work, it says, it says the antidote to anger is silence. Doesn't mean you never speak about it. Doesn't mean you never have conversations with people. Of course you do. But it's got to be in the right context. If it's solution-oriented, right, then the speech is going to help the solution. If it's anger-oriented, the speech is going to help the anger be magnified. Speech is... What is speech? It's like, who was that guy with the beans? Was it Jack? Jack and the Beanstalk? Yeah, although I don't remember the details of the story. It, like, expanded really quickly? Yes? Or, like, grow, Like, whatever that is those commercials used to be, right? Speech does that. It's the, it's the sauce. It's the stuff that you, you, you put on, and next thing you know, everything is expanded. Everything is, is much deeper. That's the power of speech. And we have the opportunity to utilize it, second, for the good or for the opposite. But it's powerful. Speech is powerful. So on one level, and this is what Kabbalah says, on one level, speech is even more powerful than thought, and speech can even be more powerful even than action. Which is why human beings are called the medaber, the speakers. We are the communicators. We are the ones who can share. And by sharing, we can connect. We can get outside of ourselves. And when we do that, we touch on the greatest core of our being. And that magnifies and expands and deepens everything. So, bringing this back into the source. Because as I said before, the source of everything is is Torah. There's a specific power to reciting verbally, speaking out loud, words of Torah. So let's understand the mitzvah of Torah study. There's a mitzvah to study Torah, which, by the way, we're doing a great job this morning so far. So we're all, we're all, uh, we're all uh, doing some good Torah study. Here's the point. When it comes to Torah, st- <coughs> sorry, Torah study, <coughs> there are two elements. They're saying the words of Torah. And then there's understanding what you're saying. Okay, so I can't help you right now, but I can help you soon. So, okay, okay. So, all right, so start, and then, and then we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, so, the... Let's get back. So, Torah study. There's two parts of the mitzvah. One part of the mitzvah is understanding it, one part of it is saying the words. Now, one might think when it comes to studying Torah, saying the words is like, how, why is that important? The most important part of Torah study is to understand, you, is understand the Torah, right? It's, a, it's an intellectual understanding. But now, based on what we just described about the power of speech, hopefully we, you and I can recognize that there is a particular power in, in saying the words of Torah even when we don't understand them. This is called Korah BaTorah, reading Torah. It doesn't mean reading from the Torah necessarily in synagogues, you know, when we read from the Torah, but it means speaking words of Torah, irrespective of whether we understand them or not. There's value in speaking words of Torah. That is infinitely valuable. Why? Because, again, the power of speech. One second, one second. And I want to share with you what it says in the good books, it says, one second. it says that one who reads Torah, what happens? It summons forth their voice, reading, saying words of Torah, summon forth the words of God, who then speaks the words alongside us. We're going to have this in chapter thirty-two of our text. By the way, we're up to the final chapter of our text. Chapter thirty-two, Lev, the heart of uh, of this heartfelt discourse is all about the power of speech and about the, specifically the power of reciting words of Torah. Again, we should understand them ideally, but even without the understanding, necessarily reciting the words evokes. Remember what I said before about speech. Speech triggers. The essence of the soul? Well, speech of Torah also triggers the essence of God and summons forth the essence energy known as the Ain sof, the infinite light, into this world. And when you have an influx of infinite light into this world, you have the objective of this entire discourse, all 32 chapters, which is peace. What is peace? Peace is a reconciliation of opposites. Peace is harmonizing. Two different aspects. You have this and you have that, and the goal is to try to get them together, mediate, right? Create a bond between two opposites. How do you do that? As we've been discussing for a long time now. How do you bring together two opposites? By introducing a power that transcends them both. Like we gave the example a long time ago about the angels, right? How do the angels that are all different personalities, spiritual personality types, how do they get together? Oseh shalom bimromav. How do they get together peace above? It's when they stand before God. God is a force that transcends their particulars, right? God transcends the particulars. That is what draws the opposites together. And so, the same thing is down here. Oseh shalom bimromav. The one who makes peace above. Who Ya yeah, says Shalom who should also make peace here below, and how is that done? Not passively. We say, God, please make peace on earth. No, it's through our efforts, but it's also spiritually done through our Torah study. Through our Torah study, first of all, it transforms the way we think, which we have been discussing the last several weeks. But also, also in addition to that, Torah summons forth the essence light, the infinite light, known as the Arien Sof, and that that harmonizes all of creation, including harmonizes, harmonizes different forces amongst human beings. All right. Um, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Yes. Okay, you can't, you can't do that? Um, listen, I'm teaching a class, and you have to... Very quickly, because people are waiting. I know, but... It's 10.33, and I'm going to sleep. So go in there. Oh, no, I give you permission. Okay, and we're back. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so now we're, we're ready to jump inside chapter 32. Just to summarize the intro, we spoke about the day, the 19th and 20th day of Kislev. We spoke about Kabbalah. We spoke about the transformation. And we spoke about not only the light, but also expanding the vessels. We spoke about the power of speech, understood by Kabbalah as touching on the infinite, on the the source of the soul that transcends even the particular self of soul. And we spoke about the power of speech vis-a-vis Torah study, that when we speak words of Torah, we're summoning forth the infinite light into the world, which helps bridge the gap between opposites. It helps unify opposites when you have this influx of greater light. And as you and I have discussed before, it's bringing two things together is always a product of a higher influence. I can't do it right now. Okay, so let's jump in. I am going to momentarily share my screen with you. Oh, look at that. Such a beautiful log. Okay. Um, You know what? While I'm I'm, uh, pulling up this file and opening it up, so... Please unmute yourself. Any questions, comments, jump right in. No pressure to do so, but if you have anything, your test-kiss slave-related, speech-related, any reflections that you had on, on, on what we've been discussing so far, jump right in. Okay, all right, I take that as a sign that everything is making sense, which is also good. Okay, Uh, let's see, we got the file. Okay. Riva's giving us dramatic background music, which I love. Okay, here we go. Sharing my screen. Okay, let's jump in. By the way, want to say welcome to, let's see, Danielle, I don't think we had a chance to welcome you. Welcome. And Toba, welcome. i we have mentioned you before. All right, and of course, everybody here is, it's great to have everybody here. Okay, let's jump in. Let's jump in. This is uh, chapter 32, page number 70. If you have the book, um, then you can look at it there. Otherwise, follow with me along on the screen, please. All right, um, here we go. The Lord... Oh, this is... Okay, before we start. This, this quote is from Psalms, Psalm 145, also known as the Ashrei prayer, because we recited a few times every single day. Psalm 145. It says, Hashem It says, The Lord is close. Now Now inside. The Lord is close to all those who call upon Him. And then it says, To all those who call upon Him in truth. So it's just kind of shortened over here. The Lord is close to all those who call upon Him in truth. Now if you just stop right there, just, just that one, first line. At this point, you should know what that means. The Lord is close. The essence is summoned when we call upon Him, when we articulate the truth, which is, we know Torah is synonymous with truth. So when we say words of Torah, that's what summons God, and that's what He's about to explain. I.e., to those who call, back inside, to those who call upon the essential being of the Ain self By means of the above described supernal delights in the truth of Torah. In other words, when is God close? It's when we call forth, when we summon forth the ain't of the infinite essence of God. How do we do that? By, through the Torah, which is the supernal delight. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. The idea of divine pleasure in Torah. And Torah is also truth. It's pleasure. It's truth. And that's how we summon forth God, the closeness of the Eintzof. This is the meaning back inside. This is the meaning of studying Torah lishma. What does lishma mean? It means for its own sake. So before we go any further, before we continue with the um, Kama and the M-dash which is probably not grammatically uh, whatever. should have one or the other. But Here's the point. Before we go further, let me explain this phrase, and I'm going to highlight it here, called Torah lishma, Torah for its own sake. So we can study Torah for any number of reasons. We can study Torah because, I don't know, we were kids and we're sent to a Torah school and we're studying Torah because that's what they study. Okay, that's one. You can study Torah because you want to learn. And you're interested in the wisdom of Torah. Great. You could study Torah because you want to be a scholar. Great. You could study Torah because you want to be respected. Ooh, okay. Or you could study Torah for its own sake. Not for your sake, for its own sake. That's the highest level of studying Torah. See, any personal agenda means that you're studying Torah but you're really doing it for you. You're doing it for you to know, for you to understand, for you to be wise, for you to be a scholar, for you to be honored or whatever it is. It's for you. And that's Okay, I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's still, you're still studying Torah, but it's not the highest level of Torah study. What's the highest level? When you're doing it altruistically. In other words, for its own sake. Gonna get, and let me stop sharing for a moment and give you an example. Right? Let's talk about helping someone else out. You can help someone else out because it makes you feel good, because it's, you know, it's going to get you honor or, or fame or whatever it is, or you're helping them out to help them out. And it's for them. It's not for you. It's for them. I mean, it's the most straightforward way. It's the purest way. And it's the, mo- it's the highest way, right? It's, it's without a personal agenda. I'm here to be there for the other. That's it. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about me. It's about them. That's the highest level of chesed, of kindness. The highest level of Torah study is in a similar fashion. I'm not studying Torah for myself, for how it makes me feel, for how it makes me think. I'm studying Torah for the sake of Torah question is, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to study Torah for the sake of Torah? Like, I understand what it means to help someone out for them. That I get. Someone's in need, and I help them out. Not for me, for them. I, they needed help, I'm helping them. That I get. But What does it mean to study Torah for its own sake? What, Torah needed to be studied? And I'm studying Torah for the sake of Torah being studied? Like, what, is that, what does it actually mean? Like, I, I, I see the words Torah lishma for its own sake, without, without any ulterior motives. But what does it mean for its own sake? Again, if I'm helping someone out purely, that I understand. But what does it mean to study Torah purely? What does that mean? So he explains in this text, he explains what Torah lishma means. Let's, let's jump right in. He says, this is the meaning of studying Torah lishma for its own sake. And what is that? What is that meaning? Listen to this. This is obviously according to Kabbalah. It means in order to draw down, which means to to summon forth, the revelation of the Ein Sof light in the letters of Torah. Look at that. Look at that. When we study Torah, studying Torah for its own sake means that our agenda, the objective is to draw forth the infinite light into the words of Torah. In other words, it's not about us. It's not about what we're getting. It's not about the information, the knowledge, the wisdom. It's not about being inspired or uplifted. Studying Torah lishma means that I, by, by saying the words of Torah, I'm going to summon forth the infinite light into these words and letters of Torah. And he says, this should be one's fundamental intent in the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Torah study. In other words, with all of the other reasons why we study Torah, this should be the fundamental intent. This should be the main kavana. Kavana means intent, intention. When, you're stu- when you and I are studying Torah. Again, what should be the intention? To draw down the revelation of the Ein Sof Light into the letters of Torah. Let me explain that. Torah, when you, stu- when, when you and I study Torah, it seems like a wisdom, but it's divine wisdom. When we study Torah, the goal of Torah study, or the, the fundamental intent of Torah study, he says, is to bring forth the infinite essence of God into the letters of Torah study itself, so that the Torah is not about an agenda, but the Torah is purely divine Wisdom or divine essence being manifest in a wisdom, in in the form of wisdom. That's the highest level of Torah. It's not about Torah with an agenda, an agenda for us, or even another agenda. It's Torah purely as the divine expression. Torah as divine expression. That should be the intent in studying Torah. I'm encountering the infinite light manifest in the letters of Torah. And how does this happen? He continues inside. And it comes through calling. And he, the reason why he, um, he uses the word calling in, pre, in, in quotation marks is a call back to the opening verse of this chapter, where we said, the Lord is closed to all those who call upon him in truth. L'chal asher Kara, those who call upon him in truth. So what does it mean to call? So he says it comes through calling. What is calling? I told you this before. Reading and studying the written Torah and the oral Torah. So how do we bring, how do we fuse the infinite light into the letters of Torah? How do we bring the infinite energy of God into Torah and by, and, and, and by virtue of that also into the world? By reading and studying both the written Torah, i.e. five books of Moses and the other works of Scripture, and the oral Torah, which includes everything else, including Kabbalah. As the sages have said, look at this, whoever reads and studies the written Torah and the oral Torah, the Holy One, blessed be he, reads and studies opposite him. So even the act of reading, and also the act of studying, but even the act of reading, this this is where the power of the voice comes in, Even the power of reading has the ability to cause God to also read and then study opposite us. When we read and study, God reads and studies opposite us. And what that means is that us projecting, articulating words of Torah brings forth, summons forth this light, this infinite light into the experience, into the Torah and into our space. Similarly, he says, it is written, I love this, I love this verse. This comes from Psalms also, 121. Hashem tzilcha, God is your protective shadow. What does that mean, God is your shadow? So, i.e., just as a shadow follows the movement of an object, so too, when a Jew studies studies God, studies God studies opposite him or her, right? So here's the deal. Just like a shadow, which perfectly follows the person, the person's movements, and it's not a separate thing. It's like an automatic result of the movement when there's light is that you see the shadow. The same thing is true when we study Torah. When we study Torah, God studies Opposite us. In other words, right next to us, it is also written. So we have now two verses. The first verse was from Psalm 145. The Lord is close to all those who call upon him in truth. So when we study Torah, we are calling upon God and making God close to us. That's one. We have this statement. Whoever reads and studies uh, Torah, God studies, reads and studies opposite him. We have this idea God is our protective shadow. That's actually three things already. And here brings another proof text. It is also written. Sorry, highlighting too many things. It is also written. This comes from Genesis, from the story of Jacob and Esau with the blessings. The voice, so of course you remember the story, right? So Yaakov slash Jacob, right? He goes in to take his brother's blessings. His father can't see. His father's uh, eyes don't, don't, aren't able to see. So he dresses up in the clothing of his brother, puts on skins, that make him feel nice and hairy like his brother, to take the blessings. So his father says, speaking to him, he says, I don't get it. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Hakko, Yaakov, Esau. The voice is Jacob's voice. The hands are Esau's hands. So he quotes here just the first part of that verse. The voice is the voice of Yaakov. And our sages have explained, this refers to the voice of Torah study, right? The email subject was the voice. This refers to the voice of Torah study. Hakoko Yaakov, what does it mean, the voice is the voice of Jacob? It's the voice of Torah study. The voice of the individual who reads the letters of Torah creates an arousal, an awakening above drawing down the aint Sof flight into the level of supernal chachma of the heavenly Torah, drawing down the voice of God who reads and studies the same scriptural verse and that same law opposite him. If you ever want to know what happens mystically when you study Torah, this is the, ver- this is the sentence that you probably want to read and meditate on. right? The voice of an individual who reads the letters of Torah, and notice he doesn't say here, studies, who just reads the letters of Torah, just reading, articulating with, with the voice the letters of Torah, creates an arousal, an awakening above and others, stirs and triggers the heavens, and what happens? Draws down, summons forth the ants of the infinite light into the wisdom, supernal wisdom of the heavenly Torah, and then that triggers downward further the voice of God to study opposite nearby the person who's studying Torah. You could be sitting at home, by yourself, studying Torah. And our sages are telling this to us, and Kabbalah is telling this to us, that you are not alone. When you study Torah, God is studying Torah with you. Kabbalah would say, which reality of God, so to speak, which dimension? The essence. You're not just getting some, you know, you know, manifestation of the divine force that does this, that, or the other. No, 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 no. This is essence of God. The Einsof light, the infinite light, is summoned forth into the wisdom of Torah that you're studying right now, and God is therefore right, right there sitting opposite you. It's powerful. So in the reveal parts of Torah, it says... In Nigla, in the reveal parts of Torah, it says that when you study Torah, God is studying Torah by, right nearby. But Kabbalah adds, what are we talking about? The infinite, the essence, the infinite essence of God, the aint Sof Light, which first is, is, is fused with, the, with the, the wisdom of Torah and then comes down into the Torah study. I just need to explain what this means practically. What this means practically is that when you and I are studying Torah, we're not just studying a wisdom a philosophy, right? We're not just studying, you know, Jewish wisdom, Jewish ideas. It's the infinite essence of God being manifest in wisdom that's accessible to us. That's a different meaning. It's not just getting ideas, you know, wow, nice ideas, beautiful Jewish philosophical ideas or spiritual ideas. That's not what Torah is. Torah is the infinite essence of God manifest in supernal wisdom of Torah, which then triggers down to the wisdom that we study. That's what it is. God and His Torah are one. God is, Torah is one with the divine essence. Torah is unified with the divine essence. So when we study Torah, when we become unified with Torah, Torah is unified with essence. Do the math. If A equals B and B equals C, right? So A equals C. Right? Is there a a name to this formula? A equals B, B equals C? So A equals C, or is it just obvious? It's not the Pythagorean theorem, right? That's A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Correct? Did I get that right? I think it's just identity. Identity. Yeah. By the way, it also... also, um, It also... uh, Need more coffee. Yeah, it also presents itself in, um, in, uh, in, in, in Jewish law. If, when it comes to loans, it's called Shibuddha de, de Reb So if Ruvain owes Shimon $100 and Shimon owes, owes Levi $100, so Shimon could tell Levi, go to Ruvain. Does that make sense? Even though Shimon borrowed from Levi, and Levi could say to Shimon, I'm going to you, there is a construct by which, you know, A and C, the first and the third parties, can connect directly without without the, uh, the other party inside. Anyway, the point is like this, that you are studying Torah, the wisdom of Torah. But the wisdom of Torah is not just wisdom. It's essence of God. So then you are getting the essence of God. A equals B, B equals C, A equals C. So you're sitting down at home. It's on a a quiet uh, morning. And you tell yourself, you know what? I'm going to study some Torah. Maybe because of Yud Kislev, Chav Kislev, 19th and 20th day of Kislev, maybe you're going to take a resolution today to make sure on your own, on your own, in addition to all the classes that we do, in addition to that, on your own, you're going to spend 15 minutes a day studying some sort of Hasidic, uh, Hasidic ideas. You can go to Chabad.org, you to go to the podcast, however you're going to do it, you're going to study on your own 15 minutes um, Jewish mystical teachings, Hasidic philosophy, etc. And you're thinking, okay, it's going to be interesting, it's going to be innovative, it's going to be you know, thought-provoking, it's going to be, you know, inspiring and rich and informative. Yeah, and, it's, and it is all of the above. But don't forget what we're learning now. It's more than that. It's more than just, you know, these tangible benefits. It's the essence Torah is, all of Torah. He, he, we just studied it. The written Torah, the five books of Moses, as well as the oral Torah, including Kabbalah, right? All of Torah is connected and unified with the essence of the ain't-self, with God's essence, pure, infinite essence. So when we study Torah, we're not just getting wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in the world. It's not just, I could study this wisdom or Jewish wisdom. It's not just wisdom. It's the essence of God that's being manifest in the wisdom. And when we study it, it's not just ideas, it's essence. It's grabbing onto the essence of God in the only way, the only handle that we have. Because how else are you going to hold on to God? <laughs> right. Good luck. Good luck catching God. But God gave us one tool, one way to do that. God put invested His essence in the wisdom of Torah. Second, God invested His essence in the wisdom of Torah, made the wisdom of Torah understandable to a human mind, and then allows us to understand it, integrate it in our mind, and by virtue of that, The next thing you know, our minds are now connected with Torah, which is connected with the infinite essence. And now we've brought God's pure essence into the world. That's the real meaning of the power of Torah study. Let's get back inside the text because we're right in the middle. Yes. How does prayer interact? Prayer is a movement from below to above. Torah study is primarily a movement to bring down from above to below. Does that make sense? So prayer is my climbing the mountain, or the ladder actually, climbing the ladder up, and not to minimize it at all, it's, but it's the movement is from below to above, and Torah study, when I study Torah, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing down heaven to earth, more than just heaven. Heaven's too, too loose. Heaven's too general. Bringing the essence down, into earth. So prayer would be climbing toward essence, and Torah study is bringing essence into our reality. So they're both necessary, but they operate in different directions, so to speak. So there's, again, I'm going to use heaven as a loose, not, I don't mean to, like, make it too, you know, general, but there's bring down, bring heaven down to earth, or elevating earth up to heaven, right? Right? So there's two different, two different directionals uh, that are happening here. Rabbi, I have a different question. Sure. So for those of us who are still mastering Hebrew, does this work if we read Torah in English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the main thing here is, the main thing here is reciting words and ideas of Torah. So it's whether we understand them or not, right? So there's, there's, there's a power to it. So when it's when you're dealing with a different language, you know, assuming that it's true to the original, assuming that it's true to the original, um, assuming it's a decent translation. So what you're reading and studying is in fact is in fact Torah. And that gives it its authenticity. So the idea here is that there's an authenticity of Torah that goes beyond the ideas. And and maybe maybe this is another way of putting it. You have la- you have kind of like yes no you can't no sorry too much too much of that stuff no not no more nope no more sugar we're um, asking for cookies in case anybody wants to know no no I'm cutting you guys off um, okay so here's the deal um, think about there's like the wisdom and the code itself right if you notice it's like the letters of Torah. It's like the actual letters. And I understand your question. So do the letters have to be in Hebrew or also in English? Start with the English. In other words, it's still the letters. It's still the code. It's the code, you know, in a different language. But it's still the code. So it's almost like when we understand it, there's a risk of us limiting the whole experience to our particular application. It's like, oh, this is what it meant to me today. And that may seem like to us sometimes like the whole thing that we're doing, the whole purpose. But when you study Kabbalah, you realize, we study this, you realize, it's not just about me and what I gained from it. It's about summoning forth the essence into Torah, into the world. And that's that's like a greater, that's kind of bigger than just what I'm getting from it. Let's continue inside. This is, this is, this constitutes the enclothing of the of light in the voice of Torah. Look at that. You're taking the of the infinite light and, and putting it in, so to speak, the voice, the voice again, of Torah above, i.e. the Torah at the level at which it is His delight. And this is the meaning, he says, of who, quote, getting back to the verse that we started this chapter with, um, God is close to all those who call upon Him. So this is the meaning of who call upon Him, i.e., Him, meaning His essence. And how do you call upon divine essence? How do you summon forth? How do you dial God's essence? It's with the truth of Torah, because it says um, God is close to all those who call upon Him in truth. And so when we study Torah, which is the Torah of truth, that is how we summon forth the infinite essence. This is the meaning of Lishmah, studying Torah for the sake of Torah. For with this reading, God reads and draws himself into the Torah at the level of supernal delights. So this is not studying Torah because we want insight or we want understanding or we want inspiration. This is studying Torah to bring God into the Torah and into the world. And what does this do? What does this affect? And by the way, this certainly accomplishes much, although it's not the intention, but it accomplishes much. What does it accomplish? Peace, which is the whole purpose of our discourse. Peace and stopping the fighting, stopping the animosity, stopping the the jealousy and the hatred and the anger that people have for each other for no reason, for no reason. The whole discourse is based on this notion of baseless hatred. Remember that? talked about that uh the, at least the first half of the discourse. I mean the whole thing is still about the same theme. It's called sinas chinam. baseless hatred it's like i don't I don't I don't like you I don't get along with you why i just i just we just don't get along. Why not? So according to this, the final chapter, there's still another paragraph after this, so we're not uh We're not not closing it out yet. But what, what he's saying here is at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the reason for the disunity that exists amongst us is because we're missing the essence, which is the ultimate peace creator, peace generator. And how do we bring the essence? It's through Torah. Bring Torah into our lives, creates the platform in which peace is attainable. So let's continue inside. This certainly causes peace among the hosts of above, which is the union and joining of the yod and the hay of Chachma and Bina. Talked about that a lot in the past. So that they may be called two friends which who never part. Chachma and Bina are opposites. Chachma is creative, Bina is analytical. The goal is to fuse the two together so that they're friends, that they see the same, they're on the same page. Chachma and Bina, ying and yang. Right? They can't get along. Absolutely, they can. Absolutely. When you draw down the infinite light into the space of Chachman Bina, Chachman Bina get along. So it's, it, it, it creates a unity amongst Chachman Bina. Let's continue inside. Fusing the contraction of Chachman and the expansion of Bina. Fusing the concealment of Chachman. Remember, because Chachman is still. Is still um, uh, not fully understood. And the revelation of Bina. Again, when you bring the infinite light in, it's the ultimate connector between the and bina, between the contraction and expansion, between the concealment and revelation, according to the measure necessary for the Hishchah Shalot, for um, for the evolution of the worlds. And this, he says, is the distinctive attribute of truth. This is what truth is. It's the ability to contain opposites. Truth, sorry, truth is the the ability to contain opposites and to combine them in due proportion. This is why it is the Torah that fuses concealment and revelation and does so in the proper measure because Torah is truth. This fusion means that the opposites are no longer opposed. Instead, both elements will now shine constantly like two friends who never part, which means, by the way, that each individual doesn't need to give up their individuality. But they recognize that there's a place for the other within their own particularism. There's a place for the other's particularism. There is a constant flow from concealment to revelation, chachma to bina, i.e. from nothing to something at all times, one prompting the other like a wellspring that issues forth constantly from concealment to revelation and expands into a river. That's the the innovation of chachma that, that goes into bina, into ideas that we can implement. The spring, the wellspring, into the river. And this is brought about by the emanation of the ain't-self light, by a light that transcends both Chachmah and Bina, the infinite light in the Chachmah of the written and oral Torah, which are called Sefer and Sipar. We don't have time to explain this right now. In the level of truth which mediates between Chesed and Gefura. This is what is meant by the phrase, who call upon him in truth, specifically the truth of Torah. So what is the bottom line? The bottom line is that when we study Torah, even when we just read the words of Torah with our voice, we're summoning forth the Einsof light. And the Einsof light is going into the Chokhmah, the wisdom of Torah. And the wisdom of Torah is not just the wisdom of Torah, it's also the Bina of Torah. And what that means is that we fuse together the opposite of and Bina, contraction, expansion, concealment, revelation, to the point that both can coexist and not just coexist in a cold war, but work together with each other hand in hand, hand in glove. It's about, it's about honoring distinction. It's about honoring difference. It's about recognizing that each has its place. And each one can work together, and it can work together when, and only when we have a higher intention and a higher purpose in mind. It's kind of like we said before about a relationship, that when the relationship, when when, when two people have in mind a higher some higher value, it's much easier to navigate the particulars. It's like, even if it's not even even if it's not divine, even if it's human, it also helps, right? So to give okay, a quick example, you have a, a couple. And the question is, what movie are we, are we going to watch tonight? And one person feels strongly it should be uh, a rom-com. and The other one feels it should be, um, you know, a, a thriller, a dramatic uh, thing. If, if there's going to be a fight about this, it's going to undo the whole purpose of this evening, which is to have an enjoyable evening together. So if you keep the higher picture in mind, you can navigate the particulars even when they're different. It's when you lose sight of the bigger picture That the details can become so blown up and the distinctions can turn into divisive tools. Distinctions are fine. Individuality is fine. We can get along. It's like puzzle pieces. The fact that they're cut differently is fine because you can fit together. But it's when you lose the whole picture. That the individual pieces are like, well, we're not aligned, we can't get together. It's like, wait a second, do you know who you are? You're a piece, and you're a piece, and you're meant to stick together, right? It's like, no, I don't see it. I just see different cuts and different grooves. I don't know, I'm shaped this way, you're shaped that way. We can't get along. It's a very small, small small-minded focus. What leads to animosity and hatred and fighting, interpersonal fighting, is a very small-minded view. What we're advocating today is a larger view. And where does that come from? comes from Torah. Not only does, on a practical level, does the Torah give us a broader view, but spiritually, it brings down the ants of the infinite energy into the world, which gives, which lifts, which transforms everything and ultimately equalizes everything. When I give you, um, no, I'll speak about this next week. Next week, we're going to conclude formally this text, Hechotzu. Next week will be Hanukkah already. It's going to be the Sunday morning of, well, the first night of Hanukkah is Thursday night, Thursday yeah. night is one, Friday night, Saturday night, so yeah. that it will be the third day of Hanukkah, Sunday. Riva saying yay, very happy. No, for eight days. For eight days, exactly. This will be day number three. So we'll celebrate in Chanukah, Spirit Chanukah edition, and I'm going to tell you, as we conclude this book, this this work, this magnificent work, that we have spent over a year studying, consistently, I mean fairly consistently, almost every Sunday morning. I'm going to share with you the origin story that I've never shared with you before. Maybe you would have thought that I should have shared at the beginning, but I'm going to share it next week. The origin story. Why was this discourse about love, about getting along, about fighting, fighting, fighting discord, why was it originally authored by the Hasidic master who authored it? Next week, find out the origin story. And find out the incredible, incredible meaning for it in our own lives as we conclude this text. Now, you may be wondering, once we conclude this text, what are we studying next? Aha, uh-huh. you'll we'll have to come back next week to find out. And I will reveal and announce the next text of Kabbalah and Coffee next week. The origin story, the next text, but of, and of course, the grand conclusion of our text. All right, thank you for joining me this morning for Kabbalah and Coffee. I want to wish you a good yam have a, uh, it should be a spiritually uplifting day. A few very quick announcements. Hey, Mariana, good to see you. A few quick announcements. <laughs> hey, shalom. So quick announcements. Number one, tonight we bring back the fireside chat. It's been a little while. It's been a few months. But we used to, you know, in the beginning, beginning of, uh, of being online. So we were doing fireside chats every Sunday, leading thinkers, leading uh, scholars. Tonight we're back. We have a two, two sessions, back-to-back, back, this week and next week, Jewish Fireside Chat, available, open to all. Feel free to share the links, or the link. It's a Zoom link, 8 p.m. It's going to be about one, a one-hour program, and it's all about the Kabbalah of Hanukkah, the deeper themes of Hanukkah, the holiday that's coming up. So, specifically, tonight's topic, I'm calling it, it's all Greek to me. It's all Greek to me. But what I mean by that is what the Greeks didn't understand. What was the issue that pitted Hellenism against Judaism that caused the conflict that led to the story of Hanukkah? What was the conflict between the Greek way of thinking and the Jewish way of thinking? Join me, join us tonight. We have with us an educator, a speaker, Mrs. Becky Miller, who's going to be presenting. 8 p.m. You can check out you find the link on the website. Go to intownjewishacademy.org. It's right there on the homepage. Jewish Fireside Chat. It's like a chair with a menorah in the background. Click on it, and it's got the Zoom link right in there. So join us tonight at 8, and and spread the word. Tomorrow night, we have our Hanukkah Jewelry Workshop. Yes, get your Hanukkah jewelry ready. Um, Donna's going to be leading the workshop. We're going to be having a, uh, a Hanukkah Um, online pre-Khanukah celebration and shmooze and discussion and exploration. That's tomorrow night also at 8 p.m. Check the website for more information. A special announcement. Oh, two two more announcements. Tuesday night, we're launching a brand new Talmud course. If you've wanted to study Talmud, if you've studied it before, or if if you've never studied it and you want to jump in, four-part series on the Talmud. If you're wondering what the Talmud is, then you definitely want to study Talmud. That's for sure. If you know what it is, you definitely want to study Talmud. Either way, you definitely want to do it. Tuesday night, 8 p.m., Rabbi Mendel Jacobson, a Talmud scholar, is going to be leading the course. Jump in. Again, check the website for details. Final announcement is Saturday night. Saturday night is... this Next Saturday night will be Hanukkah also. And I forget which night or day, but it'll be during the holiday. Hanukkah celebrates the ancient miracles of salvation in Israel. (laughs) What we're going to do is (coughs) we're going to talk about modern miracles in Israel and the Iron Dome, the Iron Dome missile defense system. So I secured the top chief engineer who built the Iron Dome missile defense system in Israel. You know, that's the system that shoots down the rockets when they come in, into the airspace? Shoots them out of the sky. 2,500 rockets have been shot down in the last 10 years. (coughs) Could have done untold. I mean, who knows how much, God forbid, damage it could have done. So, Saturday night, we have the chief engineer of the Iron Dome Missile Defense System, who's going to give us a behind-the-scenes tour of that technology. I mean, he's not taking us into the secret, you know, plants, but he's going to be taking us (coughs) inside the development of the Iron Dome and tell us some of the greatest miracle stories of the Iron Dome. Connected with Hanukkah, ancient miracles, modern miracles, modern technology, modern day Maccabees. That's going to be Saturday night. Plus, for those that are local, that join us, you can even pick up a special box, gift box, of jelly donuts and latkes with the requisite applesauce and um, sour cream. So, again, if you're not local, it's going to be a little harder to get it to you fresh. Not impossible, but a little bit harder. But if you're local, you can even pick up some eats on Friday to have it for the Saturday night. Because Saturday night, Cafe Chabad, it's good to have food. If, not, if you're not local, bring your own food, and we'll enjoy it together. We're also going to do Havdalah live. You bring your own. Candles and spices and wine, and we'll do a nice celebration together. And then we have, live from Israel, the rocket scientist. Now, I will tell you that he is being very kind to even be open to this offer that I made him, this proposal of speaking to us, because if you know, um, Israel is about seven hours ahead. So if we start at 8 p.m., it's about 3 a.m. by him. So he's being very... Um, generous with his um, willingness to, uh, to speak to us. So it's a very special evening, very special opportunity. So I hope you'll join us and spread the word as well. It's, uh, if you like science, if you like you know missile defense or whatever, if you like miracles, if you like Israel, if you like any of the above, or just want to hear an amazing speaker, join us Saturday night. If you like latkes and donuts, you should also join us. All right, so that's it. And uh, I want to wish everybody a wonderful Hanukkah, wonderful week, and happy Chanukah. And don't forget, Chanukah is all about light. How do we bring light into the world that so often is a little bit darker than we would like? So let's think about that, each of us in our own way. But the main thing is, and you, you know, you know this, is, this is my main thing. How do we create more light between me and one more person? One more connection. One more pathway of love between me and the other. Not the one that I already love. I mean, that, keep that open. But even someone who I wouldn't necessarily automatically feel. Reva, I love you anyway. No, you're, you're, in, the, you're in that. You're, you're already good. Don't worry. I got to work on, you know, right, we all have to work on one more this week. One more. Maybe there was something that happened. Maybe just somebody who's different and whatever. It doesn't matter. Open up one more pathway of love and light. All right, Shavuot everybody. I love you guys. And it's great studying together. Thank, Thank you. you very and much. Shavuot Shavu yeah. Tov. you, Shavuot Great to see you guys. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye, Joy. Bye. Lots of blessings. Bye, Mariana. Bye, Toba. Bye, Sandrine. Bye. Take care, everybody. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Great to see you.